Bandwidth for Change Log is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. I'm Wally Quevedo, and it is go time. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Go Time. Today's episode is number 41, and our sponsors for today are Backtrace and the Ultimate Go Training Series. On today's show, we have myself, Eric St. Martin. Brian Kittleston is also here. Say hello, Brian. I'm the assassin. The assassin. <laughs> and we also have Carlicia Pinto. Say hello, Carlicia. Hi, everybody. And our special guest for today is an engineer with AppSera working on NATS and also a speaker at GopherCon this year. Please welcome Wally Caveda. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. So uh, I guess just to kind of get started a little bit for those who may not be familiar with you personally, mm-hmm. um, we'll start there, kind of who you are and the things you're working on. And uh, then maybe we'll talk a little bit about NATS and what it is and kind of the use cases it solves. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, Valdemar, but my, most people call me Wally. And I'm a software engineer at Appsera, and I do uh, development of the Appsera platform, which is an container orchestration solution. And also, I'm, I'm one of the core maintainers of the, some of the official NATS clients. Uh, most of maintain the Ruby uh, original clients. There's a new uh, pure Ruby client that's uh, getting some traction. and um, Python clients, uh, both for Python 2 and Python 3. So yeah, this is a little bit of uh, who I am, quick intro. So a lot of polyglot stuff, trying to, to maintain all the, the libraries for the different languages. Yeah. So yeah, and this, even though the Nats project uh, originally started as uh, in Ruby, the canonical implementation these days now is the Go client. So, so yeah, uh, Go is a very important part of the project because it's the one that we try to keep as a reference implementation that whenever you have to like, um, it's basically the spec that you have to implement for each one of different languages if you want to call it like an official client, right? So so yeah, I like uh, like Ruby a lot. I use it um, since I, I was like, um, originally got into the Nats project through uh, Cloud Foundry where it was being used as part of the uh, control plane. And we were one of the early adopters at my previous company in Japan. It's a huge uh, e-commerce website. So yeah, that's where I started like uh, getting into the project. And uh, it's been really cool seeing how the Nats project has been evolving thanks to the Go community as well. Let's start talking about the purpose behind Nats. I understand that Nats uh, came out of Cloud Foundry and it was the control plane for all of the components inside Cloud Foundry. What purpose did it serve, or does it serve inside Cloud Foundry? What's uh, what's unique about Nats that makes it so good for that control plane? Yeah, it was a piece that would allow you to do the internal communication throughout the platform. So I think for Cloud Foundry, it was uh, fit really well because it was uh, simple and resilient enough for the type of communication patterns that you would have inside of that type of architecture. We ended up having a cluster of like around thousands of machines. And even though it was still like the Ruby version, uh, it was simple enough to operate for the kind of like 
communication that you were doing for Cloud Foundry. And uh, I really like the simplicity of doing operations uh, with Nats, and it just fit really well for that type of usage uh, there, just like file and forget, uh, request response, basic communications uh, for starting applications and some heartbeats for fault tolerance, for example. Do, does that make sense? It, it does make sense. Now, one of the one of the things that I've, I hear very frequently is that NATS is pretty bulletproof. And I just saw a tweet maybe yesterday, a person was talking about their their infrastructure and how they had to update a bunch of things. And, and when they were uh, messing around with the servers, uh, they noticed that, that that NATS service hadn't been restarted in nine or 12 months or something like that. But what is it about NATS that makes it so resilient? Because it really seems like um, that's a very common message I hear is that it's, it's hard to kill NATS. Yeah, so so yeah, I like that from Nats a lot. As a as a person that was operating at these uh, large clusters, uh, that were they having a, an uptime, having everything available, so uh, critical. I like that confidence that uh, it was going to be basically around and available for the components to be able to communicate. And so I guess it is because um, well, the simplicity of the how it does much less, I think, plays a big part here. And also because uh, this whole like it tries to protect itself from uh, bad actors uh, within the system, right? So if you have maybe like a, a client that is trying to do some harm, the server will like basically take out the connection, and other clients would be still be allowed to communicate and basically not be impacted by these other parts of the system, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, it is true. I mean, like. Uh, at the beginning, for example, like uh, the original Ruby implementation didn't have like clustering uh, from day one, but it was still uh, possible, for example, to do basic failover scenarios with Nats, and uh, the recovery was pretty fast still. So yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, well suited for that kind of uh, use cases, and it really does stay up for uh, long periods of time. Uh, it's very difficult to crash it. Uh, I've managed to crash it like a uh, uh, number of times. But it was by making like these uh, weird clients trying to attack it, basically. Mm-hmm. And but those are all fixed now. But yeah, I like finding these uh, weird corner cases with the buffers from NAT server where you could make it crash. But they have all been fixed; they're all been fa- mastered. So, so yeah, if someone managed to make it crash somehow, and uh, it will be fun to look at. You mentioned the original implementation in Ruby. Yeah. Uh, well, I I love to go there. And were you there when that happened? Were you already up, Sarah? Uh, no. Before I was uh, this, uh, I was living in Tokyo for around five years, and that's where we uh, the Cloud Foundry was originally implemented. And yeah, the company I was at, uh, they were looking for a basically like a platform as a service kind of system, pretty much like what Heroku. Uh, worked for, but like for internal for the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately, Cloud Foundry was just released and that uh, this the same year where we were looking at uh, some solution. So yeah, there was not like Kubernetes in those times. And yeah, we were one of the early adopters in Japan for Nets. Because what I wanted to ask is uh, how much you know about the transition, the motivation behind the transitioning from Ruby to Go were there benchmark tests? Did they consider other languages? What was it that made Go the choice? 
to transition into, what kind of problems were they having that they felt they needed to, to port at all to another language? Uh, so it's worth mentioning that the original server was also within an event machine. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like uh, a good reference for this is the talk from uh, GopherCon from Derek. It was the original, uh, I mean, it wasn't from the first GopherCon 2014. It was? Yeah, yep. yeah he spoke at the very first uh-huh. one. Yeah. So, so yeah, actually, this year is going to be my first GopherCon. I'm really looking forward to it. Nice. And yeah, but there he there explains like um, more in detail, like what was Go was really a good fit. Can you share with us some of those reasons? So, yeah, I mean, like the Go is great for these kind of systems. I mean, we, the performance is, of course, one of the big gains for NETS. I think the original server was, uh, could, you could get it at most like 100. 50,000 messages per second, but for the NAT server, it's um, up to the millions, right? So even though the original Ruby server was already, like the protocol itself has not changed at all, and uh, you could get much better scalability with the Go-based uh, server. Of course, there's a whole like a concur- built-in concurrency that also like uh, Ruby didn't have, well, still have many some issues there. And also the small binaries. Uh, I think we're all a huge factor in a compiled language where you can have a, result, a small binary. What's a big plus here? Uh, that's why we can have a very small uh, Docker image, for example. It's like a few megabytes. Mm-hmm. Too. So yeah, I think that's some of the big pluses for, for Go that NATS has benefited from a lot. Nice. One of the questions I have about NATS in general mm-hmm. is yes. that I find the, the sales pitch for NATS is, is a little muddy. Uh-huh. You know, when when you when you look at the Nats website, it says it's um, yeah. it's the the dial tone for your your uh, servers, or mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a communication platform. But a lot of the benchmarks that they list on the website are about uh, messaging, like message queuing. But uh-huh. it, Nats also does fan out messages, and it seems like it does uh, like a request reply, almost like an RPC pattern. Yeah. Uh, what is NATS? What is NATS? Uh, Help us out. Okay, so NATS is a well, NATS is a high performance messaging system uh, that you could use for the as a transport to be able to communicate uh, with clients that connect to it, right? And I mean, it's like pure publish subscribe uh, messaging system, but on top of this uh, basic pops up, you could do uh, also. Uh, basic request response for type of like RPC use cases. So yeah, that's what I would, I would describe NATS. Uh, actually, one of the very nice, concise explanations from NATS is uh, from uh, Ivan from the NATS team describing like uh, someone was complaining that NATS server was sending uh, duplicate messages. And Ivan in the issue like uh, describes that basically when it receives a message and once it receives a message, it sends it uh, directly to all anything subscriber that has shown interest into something, it keeps it in a buffer for two seconds and it's going to be waiting for some client to be able to get these bytes in order to communicate from the, by draining that socket, right? That's in a very small explanation. It's basically what is NATS is, like to communicate among these many clients very fast. So I think it has the notion mm-hmm. of persistent messages too, right? Where if the client goes offline, the client can reconnect and kind of consume any messages that it might have lost? So NATS itself uh, does not. I mean, NATS um, 
It is just a like fire and forget. You can publish uh, messages for any subscriber. They have to be connected into a stable connection to able to receive those messages, right? If they they're not around by the time those messages are get published, then those messages will be not be received. But so yeah, that was the persistence of messages was a big ask for many for many users. And now there is a NAT streaming which uh, basically enables for that kind of like a message redelivery use cases where you do publish uh, messages into a queue and then you can have the consumers basically pulling these messages at their own pace. So yeah, for the persistent use cases, there's a, another tool named uh, NAT streaming. And those, those give you the red delivery uh, kind of like message replay uh, kind of features. From my understanding, NAT streaming is a whole lot like Kafka, where you can just go back and say, give me all of these messages from the beginning of the time or start 600 messages ago and give me all those messages. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, it's, uh, you can start your subscription from the beginning of all the messages that have, have been uh, published. Or if you reconnect it and then um, maybe you may have lost some messages during that reconnection, then you start once again from the uh, last sequence number that you may have received. That's nice. So mm-hmm. in terms of NATs versus NAT streaming, what's the, um, what's the cost of the durability? How much throughput do you lose when you have to save messages? Uh, so yeah, you get uh, the performance is going to be uh, very different, mostly because also the NAT streaming itself is on top of NAT. So NAT streaming is, is built, for example, with um, uh, protocol buffers. It is using protocol buffers being transmitted on top of the NAT transport to be able to do the hacking and publishing mm-hmm. of the messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by definition, it's always going to be uh, less than performance than uh, NAT itself. So yeah, there's definitely a cost there. One of the things that really impresses me about NATS is how flexible it is. I was building uh, a class this week on microservices with Go Micro, and one of the plugins for Go Micro is a transport layer plugin, so that you can choose to use NATS as the entire transport for your microservice ecosystem. And it just amazed me that. It was just that easy to write a, a couple hundred lines of Go code and substitute NATs for, you know, RPC and you know, messaging. It's it's impressive how flexible NATs seems to be. One of the things that I love about it is the number of platforms because uh, I, I think there's JavaScript implementations. Um, I know I've seen like um, Arduino and things like that, so people can have IoT devices just push metrics out to uh, NAT servers. Yeah, it's been very cool that how the community has been taking off since I think like maybe in some of the recent years. Uh, for a long time, there was only the Ruby, Node.js, and the Go clients. But yeah, now we have uh, uh, the C Sharp, C, uh, and even the Glixir clients. Uh, the Python clients, there are official now ones. So is this mostly open source contributions or does uh, AppSera? And then Ads team uh, deliver most of these different libraries? Uh, yeah, yeah, we uh, try to have official libraries uh, as much as we can right now. I mean, it's a, it's a very small uh, team, Nats, the Nats team. But yeah, for the more important uh, languages, yeah, we try to have some off-the-shelf solutions. So um, there is a, a there, but there are, there's many like from the community as well, even like a Perl clients. But yeah, it is all open source. 
Yeah, an amazing amount of clients. I'm looking at the community contributed clients. There's .NET, Arduino, Elixir, Erlang, Haskell, Lua, MicroPython. I've never even heard of MicroPython. PHP, Perl, Python, Rust, Scala, Spring, Swift. That's impressive. That is a very broad platform. Wow, I'm, I'm just looking through this. It's been for uh, forever since I've looked through some of the connectors and things like that. There's Fluentd and Prometheus, and this is crazy. So I think it is about time for our first sponsor break. But when we come back, I want to talk about some of like maybe some of the use cases you've seen NATS uh, used for, which would be really cool. Okay. So our first sponsor for today is Backtrace. Software teams use Backtrace to take the headache and guesswork out of debugging across their environments. Backtrace jumps into action when your Go application fails by capturing detailed application state information, including the complete set of Go routines, channels and their wait durations, and my favorite, scheduler information. Backtrace analyzes this state and archives it in a centralized object store, allowing you to explore interesting patterns across your errors and plug rich error data into your resolution workflows. Backtrace is used by companies like Fastly, which is ChangeLog's bandwidth partner, Limelight Networks, Message Systems, AppNexus, and more. Head to backtrace.io slash gotime to learn more and start your free trial. All right, so we are back talking with Wally about Nat. So just before the break, I was talking about kind of uh, what some of the unique, or maybe not unique, but interesting use cases or large scale that you've seen NATs for. I know often it helps to put into perspective like example use cases. So one that I'm uh, very uh, interested recently is the work from uh, RPNR. Uh, he wrote the original like, M Collective for Puppet. And he was initially trying to prototype using the uh, original Ruby client, but it was not thread safe. And, and so basically that's why we now we have a different one for Ruby, but he could manage to change the transport for the whole uh, M collective to use it for Puppet uh, on top of NATS. So yeah, it's a very ambitious project, and I'm following it. Things very cool to see like NATS replacing some other transport to make a system more faster. Or there's also the Clarify was using uh, NATS streaming as well. So yeah, this is just from the some of the contents that have been like published recently in the nats.io blog. I mean, there are some here's a number of entries there. Now, with just the amount of effort and the large nature of this project, my, my assumption is that AppSera also heavily uses it for some of their own infrastructure too. Ah, uh, yes, of course. So yeah, the whole AppSera platform is uh, it's written in Go. I mean, there's some C in some places, but that's part of the control plane, and we use it for the discovery from the components. So yeah, it's an essential piece of the architecture for the communication as well. And simple use cases like the service discovery of the uh, who is talking within the system and uh, doing basic request response to starting the applications within the platform. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's just an essential piece of their architecture. So we all end up loving when new Go releases come out because of the performance improvements, I, I can only imagine the difference uh, when, when you guys do a new build there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, we can get rid of half our servers now. <laughs> <laughs> can you yeah. tell us a bit about alternative to Nets and what makes Nets a good choice for people? So, so yeah, I would choose Nets when I want to have a 
uh, low latency, for example, communications, and uh, that is simple, right? So when you care a lot about the simplicity of deployment, um, maybe like the, having a lower uh, connective overhead for thinking about your system and care a lot about the performance, yeah, that's where I would look for NATs, right? So yeah, for like these type of systems like the AppSera platform or Cloud Foundry where you want to do basic communication and service discovery, I think it fits really well. Um, the control plane use case, yeah. And how about for systems that don't have so much demand? Is there any, any advantage in using something like NATs as well? For example, let's say I need messaging, but I'm not at the level of Cloud Foundry. I'm not that big of a system. Mm-hmm. Would that be an advantage for me to use NATs or would NATs be overkill? Is there a point in which NATs would be overkill for, for a system? Yeah, that's a very good uh, uh, use case when you are, uh, uh, it, it's definitely the opposite of, of, of yeah, overkill. It's, um, it helps to have a very simple solution for this type of a communication. So, so you don't have to have very like huge uh, platform to be able to rely on NATs. Uh, you just want to be able to have this low overhead solution. Uh, I think NATs fits really well because it's very simple, very small type of config- configuration, and uh, doesn't have any other dependencies. And yeah, it's easy to get um, uh, running with NATS. So it's pretty lightweight. Yeah, the NATS binary itself is tiny and it uses very little RAM. It's amazing how much performance they're squeaking out of Go. That GopherCon talk from 2014 is a really good talk to watch. Derek Collison goes through pretty much all of the work that they did. And at that time in 2014, I think he was he was really proud of a million messages per second out of the Go client or the Go service. And after that, they did some more tuning and Go improved. And now I know they're they're well into two plus million messages per second with Nats. Yeah, so it has been getting faster since. And uh, now we're like uh, doing demos like around 11 million messages. You spare it like the micro benchmarks, I mean, but yeah, uh, for a smaller type, type of payloads, it's around, yeah, 11, 12 million messages per second. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. So speaking of GopherCon talks, yes. uh, you will be speaking at GopherCon. And I don't think we want to yeah. give away the secret sauce, but uh, <laughs> you want to give some kind of uh, hints or, or background of kind of uh, what your talk's going to be about? Uh, so yeah, I mean, like the title of the talk is uh, "Writing Network Clients in Go" and about uh, the designing and implementation of the NATS client. So I was motivated to doing this talk because uh, Go it's a very important piece of the success of NATS, right? And it is also the the canonical implementation. So I really want to have uh, something that uh, really shows off how Go helps uh, the NATS project get there. And that at the same time is like a, kind of like a reference implementation of how NATS protocol works and what are the reconnection logic that you have to follow in order to have a, a resilient client and how do we do that uh, with Go, right? So that's kind of the main goal of the talk. And so, yeah, I'm very looking forward to, to it. It seems like AppSera is very uh, community-oriented. I noticed that uh, they sponsor a lot of meetups and conferences, and uh, the whole team seems to be very active in 
all of the communities that they participate in. Is that is that a culture that's that's um, deeply embedded in Absera, or is that just uh, the coincidence of my observations? No, Absera, yeah, has, uh, I think it has been involved uh, a lot from the, especially with the Go community uh, from the beginning. It's part of the culture of Absera, I would say, from the community. We um, we run a couple of the meetups as well for the SF microservices. So it could have been a coincidence, no, but no, no I, I would say that, yeah, we're very community oriented. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I totally just lost my place. well we had a lot of interesting uh projects and news come up this week do you want to move on to that eric yeah yeah so there's a big big issue with uh the update of mac os to 10.12.4 and xcode 8.3 and apparently i'm not sure if i have this completely correct but if you build a binary that has sego enabled in one way or another which might mean something as simple as an import of something that imports SQLite, the binary will fail with a killed nine message. And I've, I saw, I think it was Tuesday when the update came out, uh, a lot of messages on, on Twitter, on the Go Slack, uh, all over the place, people wondering what the heck was going on with these killed nine messages. So if you are using Go and haven't yet updated to the latest Mac OS, uh, hold off on that for a little bit. I know that there's going to be a fix. Well, actually, there's already a fix committed in Go's uh, source repository, but there hasn't yet been a release of Go 1.8.1, but there will be shortly to fix that. So that's a big deal. It isn't often that operating systems break our programming language. I already updated, but fortunately, I develop off of Linux, so I never noticed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I updated too. and. And the uh, the day of the update, I had to do uh, a remote teaching, so I just did it from Linux, and it was fine. You know, I'm terrible about the updates too. Whenever there's new stuff, I'm like, I want it, I want it now. I don't care what breaks, I'll figure it out. Exactly. So one of the other things too is uh, speaking of conferences and stuff, is uh, GoLang UK has their CFP open. Oh. So that will run until April 30th. So based on today's recording date, um, that's basically a month to get proposals in for anybody who would like to speak there. I'm going to put a proposal in for that. Yeah, that's a nice conference. I was there last year. I still haven't made it. Have you Have you been to any other Go conferences, Wally? Uh, I've been to the meetups here in San Francisco, but conferences, uh, not yet. Uh, GoForCon would be the first one. Ah, no, it's definitely I've been in uh, Go, uh, GoCon. I was at the, the first GoCon, uh, Go conferences from Japan. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, uh, so actually GoCon, it's a part of uh, an event for uh, for dating. So that's why it became the GoCon, Go Conference. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's very funny when you see like the hashtag GoCon because it gets mixed with this. Uh, yeah, it's a very fun uh, tweet live stream. <laughs> and yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, like uh, I was there in the GoCon from 2013 and then I met uh, Dave Cheney on the next one. He was talking there. So, so yeah, I've been on those. Um, but my first GoFrecon would be like the one for this year. Awesome. You're in for a treat. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward. It's going to be big. All the other conferences are awesome, but my opinion's biased. <laughs> <laughs> 
So speaking of GopherCon, we announced our workshops for the day before the conference this year, and those are all up on the website and available for sale. There are six workshops that have a variety of different topics. They are very low cost and uh, they have limited seating. So if you're looking for something to do the day before the conference, come into town early and and get your learning on because there's some really good workshops this year. Yeah. Go to gophercon.com slash workshops and check them out. I'm definitely doing one of those. Spoken like a person who built that website. <laughs> so um, I've, I've been really heads down the past week with some work stuff, but uh, I haven't really seen a whole lot of uh, projects that I thought were interesting. And that's mainly just because I haven't been looking. But one of them I did find was uh, GoERD which is like uh, entity relationship graphs, like using graphs to show um, dependencies and how they're kind of interrelated, which is actually really interesting to run on some of your code bases and kind of scary at the same time. Yeah. So how does that work? Does it, does it use the types and navigate through the AST, determining how the types relate to each other? You know, I'm not really sure how it's, it's implemented, but Go has um, a lot of stuff in their standard, standard library for parsing the abstract syntax tree and stuff. So I'm imagining it's just using the Go uh, library for that. Say abstract syntax tree (laughs) seven times fast. Right. (laughs) No wonder why people just call it ASD for short. Well, this looks really cool. I just pulled up the GitHub. That's awesome. I saw that project and I think it's awesome. I'm always running a tool or another to produce ERDs. Because I like to see, if I'm dealing with a database, I want to see all of the entities. And um, so it's definitely very cool to have that in the goal. I love it. That's that's really cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Oh, 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 this is big. Vimgo 1.12 was released. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know what the difference is because I always run off of uh, master and update it every day because I just that way. So, <laughs> so I couldn't tell you what's different between 1.11 and 1.12, but uh, it's, it's, getting, it's getting pretty darn amazing. He keeps a very good and well-organized changelog. It's in the repo somewhere. So what's your editor of choice, Wally? And it has to be Emacs. Emacs, nice. Emacs? Y- yeah. Yes, nice. yeah, big big org mode person. So, so actually, if you if you push a, a .dot org document in GitHub, I'm I'm maintaining well, code's maintaining the library that's rendering to HTML. Oh wow! So what is what what do Emacs users use that's kind of equivalent to Vimgo? Is that just the the normal stuff that's part of the Go repo, or no? There's a Go mode, Go mode written by Dominic Conef. Nice. Yeah, I'm good with the Go mode. Uh, has integrated the GoFMT, Go imports. I know this because I played with Emacs two or three weeks ago. I tried it for a, a day, and there's you just there's a lot of control going on there. Control this, control. I think somebody had some control issues. <laughs> <laughs> I tried it years ago, only a little bit, but it, it's kind of hard because I think that there's value in learning things like Emacs and Vim. But once you've learned one, there's not as much value to switch, right? Like you gain so much efficiency from using either one of them. That you're like, is it really going to be that much faster using the other one? Well, it's all the demos of Emacs that make me still want to learn it. I know um, org mode is a really big deal. And, and Chase Adams, our longtime listener, hi Chase, keeps tweeting about 
how much fun he's having with um, Emacs, and it just and he switched. So hmm. I don't know. I'm getting I'm getting a little old to be learning new tricks. So let's let's face it. Yeah, that, that's probably the bigger issue. Is like I need to get stuff done. So it's probably about time for our second sponsor break. Our second sponsor for today is the Ultimate Go Training Series. Our friends at Arden Labs offer some of the best training classes for Go, web, and data science folks. They've trained over a thousand students from all over the world over the past two years. They offer corporate training in Go, web, and data science taught by Bill Kennedy, Daniel Whitenack, and John Gossett. Bill wrote the Go in Action book, and all three have given talks at conferences and events all over the world. They offer two and three full-day intensive courses that literally take any developer to a whole new level. The classes teach specification, implementation, mechanics, guidelines, and best practices with a lot of personal experience. They also provide a high-energy environment to keep those involved excited and focused throughout the class. Even your most experienced developers will get something out of every class. To learn more, head to ardenlabs.com slash gotime and tell them Eric from Gotime sent you. All right, we are back talking to Wally Caveda from Aptera. So we're going through kind of projects, news. Uh, anybody else have any other um, projects they wanted to talk about or... Yeah, I wanted to mention Nate Finch's blog post about his three and a half years economical and 500,000 lines of Go codes as part of the Juju project. That was a great post. Wasn't it? Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. He goes into different categories of things. For example, package management, project organization, and testing, error handling. It's a very good read. It really was. And probably, you know, there aren't that many projects at that sort of scale where you can get a view of that project from the outside without a non-disclosure agreement. So it was it's neat to see somebody intimate with that project talk about it so well. Yeah, so actually, Nats has probably been around that long too. Did you just did you just mansplain us? Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think it was more like a there, like where is Nats blog post about <laughs> Well, three and a half years of Go usage. Well, there's a blog post on GoForAcademy, com. I think I even dropped it in the Slack about Nats and Go and, and Ruby. They've been, oh yeah, I did. High performance cloud native messaging written in Go. How long have you been working on Nats, Wally? Uh, so I think since I uh, joined up Sarah, that's I mean, a couple of years ago. It'd be interesting to hear kind of how AppSera's platform and Nats has evolved over that period of time, too. Yeah, that would be cool to summarize. We'll tap Derek on the shoulder. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> cough, cough. <laughs> because, I mean, some of that stuff has had to have changed quite a bit. Um, we don't think about it as much from release to release, but when you start thinking back three, four years, the things uh, that have changed just in the, the idioms and the way we do things is actually really interesting. So like, I can't even remember vendoring back then. Like now it seems to be all we talk about, but you know, four years ago, it was just, we were happy to have go. We didn't care. You know why we didn't care about vendoring? Because there were no packages back then. That's we all true. had to write our own. When I was a kid, <laughs> we didn't have <laughs> external packages. We had to write our own. Yeah, there was very little uh, outside of like database libraries and things. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think originally uh, also Derek wrote his own uh, uh, hash implementation. He did. They yeah. have been, yeah, yeah. He had because the origin, the built-in was not uh, as performant. So yeah, he uh, he wrote his own for a while, and they have since been replaced. And with the what is saying in this part of the standard library, but yeah, for a while during the evolution from Nets, yeah, they had their own uh, hash maps. I want to say he talked about that in his GopherCon talk in 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't watched it since 2014, but I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's there. It should be there. Yeah, that whole GopherCon thing was kind of a blur our first year. I think they're all a blur. I think life <laughs> since the first one is a blur. So did anybody else have anything they want to talk about? I didn't, I didn't see any uh, projects this week, just been so heads down. I don't have anything else. I mean, I, I do have a bunch. There's so many things. Okay. But that's it. You guys want to do Free Software Friday? Being that Brian has a birthday today. I do. Well, it's not your birthday, but... No, my daughter's birthday. Lauren's 12. Hi, Lauren. I'll make her listen to this. Is she listening? Does no. she listen? No, she never listens. She doesn't care about Go. <laughs> the, the, the kids these days are making slime. She's 12, and that's, that's the thing. They make slime out of borax and, and lotion and something else, and it's just this slimy stuff, and that's all she does. Every time I turn around, I'm like, where'd that bottle of lotion go? And it's gone. Hey, see, you gave me a hard time a few episodes ago because I started talking about Ooblek, and <laughs> here they are making slime. Tell, yep. tell them to make Ooblek. I don't think it's that much different. Well... The Ublek, the cool thing about making that is that it, uh, when when it, you hit it with a lot of force, it becomes like extremely solid. So you could run across it and things like that, but then it's just goo when there's not a lot of force applied. So every every vessel in my house that could contain slime is full of slime. <laughs> all all the mason jars, all of my Tupperware gone, full of slime. Yeah, happy birthday, Lauren. What do you mean slime? <laughs> I don't want to derail us, but what? <laughs> it's, 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 um, oh, I don't even know how to, it's almost like silly putty, but thinner. And they, they make it out of common household stuff, detergent and, but, and shaving cream and glue but, and lotion. But what's for? Just for fun? Just for the fun of making it? Yeah, there's absolutely no purpose behind it, which is why I know that this is a fad that will die soon because there's nothing to do with the slime once you've made it, mm. except put it in dad's mason jars so i'm I'm looking forward to that going away gotcha it's hilarious i don't even remember where, where did we oh that's right that's our hard stop and i've been talking about it for five minutes so yeah i gotta go pick up a birthday cake so uh free software friday let's hit that i've got a free software friday that i've mentioned before but i'm going to mention it again because it is just that awesome i spent the week building my class on go micro for microservices and every time I turn over a rock, there is some other really thoughtful, amazing feature in Go Micro that uh, you know. I just I was so surprised this week. Every time I turned around, there was some other really cool piece of Go Micro that just blew me away. I built a microservice for authentication, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to be able to call this from the web, so I'm going to have to build some sort of proxy. Oh no, you don't have to build a proxy. Just type Micro API, and it builds an API proxy for you. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. I think you've got like Go Framework ADHD. I do not. <laughs> Every framework has its place. I still love Goa. And the nice thing about Goa and 
uh, micro is that they're both converging on gRPC. So very, very soon, as soon as Goa 2.0 is released, I think there's going to be a mashup between the two of them that allows me to declare my micro microservices in Goa's DSL. And that's going to be killer. Something interesting, too, is how much gRPC is taking over uh, communication now. Etcd uh, yeah. and Kubernetes and all that are all gRPC now. Yep. Agreed. What's the messaging in NAT, Wally? How do you communicate with NATs? Is that just straight HTTP or is that using some sort of RPC library? What yeah, this, I just bear uh, TCP. Yeah, it's a plain text protocol. Yep, just TCP. Yeah, okay, cool. one of the, okay. It's a very cool, simple, small TCP uh, plain text protocol. That's what makes it so fast. Uh-huh. Uh, how about you, Alicia? I don't have one today. Give a shout out to your editor. My oh, I've been using a uh, VS Code. Nice. Yeah. yeah. VS Code looks really cool. If I wasn't like so like chained to Vim, <laughs> Code has a pretty good Vim mode. Yeah. I know I need to try it, but it's one of those when you're busy. That's the hardest time to do it. I've been having some hiccups, like when I try to go to insert mode, I pressed I, and I have to press it like twice, and it doesn't ah. Uh, <laughs> See? See, Carlicia just gave me the reason why I don't need to try it. I press I once and I start typing. And then I realize, oh, it didn't go to insert mode. It's, that kind of makes me mad. <laughs> There's a handful of different Vim plugins. So just try sp- swapping one. Ah, good. Uh, I'll, I'll shoot you a, a message later and, and open mine and figure out which one I'm using. Because the one I'm using is rock solid. Nice. Thank you. Because this is driving me mad. Gotta figure out how I can find those plugins, though. But I love being able to so quickly navigate through like the source codes, up and down, back and forth. So uh, I think you added something to our doc, Wally. But yeah, every week we try to give a shout out to just a project or maintainer or group of people that are making our lives easier in the open source world. Uh, did you have a project you want to give a shout out to? Uh, yeah, I mean, I really like this project. It's actually from my friend uh, Nakashima Sen. He made these very small uh, utilities in Go, and we use this one for uh, releasing NATs, and it's named uh, GHR. Uh, it basically uh, uploads the artifacts from the build into the GitHub release page. It's very simple, very small, uh, but yeah, I think it's a cool utility. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Eliminates creating a bunch of scripts for stuff. Star added. Right. So we use it for releasing the binaries. Very cool. So, and for me, it's it's nothing new. I've I've thanked them in related projects a number of times, but Kubernetes, like I, I've been shoulder deep in Kubernetes recent a lot lately. So, but just uh, some of the problems that uh, are run into and things are usually pretty easily solved. So, and every release just seems to add more and more cool stuff. So, huge shout out to all of those guys. Right in the middle of uh, KubeCon in Berlin too. My whole Twitter stream is just nothing but FOMO. Every time I turn around, it's, oh, look at that great talk I'm missing. Oh, look at that great talk I'm missing. Damn it. Yeah, and then then I get people who message me too. Are you at KubeCon? No. No. <laughs> I'm doing work. No. So look at that. We're, we're going to end perfectly on time for you, Brian. That's awesome because I got to go get that cake. All right. So with that, let's, let's wrap this thing up. So... Brian can get to uh, 
cake and then cleaning up slime. <laughs> all slime all the time. Wait till midnight. It's not your birthday anymore. Get to cleaning. <laughs> all right. So huge thank you to everybody for being on the show, especially Wally. Thanks for coming on and chatting uh, about Nat with us. Thanks to you guys for inviting me. Thanks for coming, Wally. Super cool. Thank you to the to all the listeners, both now live and uh, everybody who will be listening to this once it is uh, released. Huge shout out to our sponsors, Backtrace and Ultimate Go. Without them, there would be no podcast. If you want to subscribe, the best way to do so is to go to gotime.fm. Uh, definitely recommend us to friends, family, coworkers. Follow us on Twitter at gotime.fm. And if you want to be on the show or have suggestions for topics or guests for the show, you can hit us up on github.com slash gotime.fm slash ping. And if I didn't forget anything, I think that's it. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Uh, bye. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thank you, Wally. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, that wraps up this episode of Go Time. Tune in live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time at the changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GoTimeFM. Special thanks to Backtrace and Ultimate Go for sponsoring this show. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, at thefastly.com to learn more. This episode was edited by Jonathan Youngblood, and the theme music for GoTime is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.